You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history, find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. So often I actually wonder, does anything I actually talk about when I do these monologues specifically, because I still don't often think that you're here because you genuinely care what I have to say, but for those of you that do, I am greatly, greatly honored, humbled, and appreciative of you taking your time to spend a, a little bit with me. I hope you're benefiting from it. I hope you're finding it informative and as entertaining as I set out these episodes to be. But one got me really, really excited recently. And by that, I mean uh, a good friend of mine. So somebody I, I personally know. I won't go ahead and out him right now unless he wants to. Uh, he can contact me later. But anyway, a good friend of mine who's also a listener of the show went ahead and said that I had basically given him the boost he needed in his self-confidence to go ahead and develop a side gig. And of course, I gave him some referrals to other really great YouTube channels and stuff that I learned um, a lot of my stuff from. And uh, he's out there being a young hustler, getting some extra coin apart from his day job because ultimately what he wanted to start doing was he wanted to start building passive income streams and the thing about investing uh, which should be your third step your you know your first one should be clearing debt second should be saving money saving cash on hand and the third one should be investing uh, he realized that in order to have some of that extra scratch money outside of his regular paycheck he needed to go ahead and uh, you know, get a side gig if he really wanted to focus on investing, getting good dividend, you know, blue chip dividend stocks, and starting to get some of that passive residual income through owning dividend stocks. And what he realized was that you know, I kind of need a side hustle to do that. So he went ahead and uh, did some of his own research, and ultimately he found what is probably one of the coolest things that. I've I've ever heard of in terms of side hustles, and I have heard of a lot of them. He is building inexpensive computers from scratch, so that way he can sell it to parents through Facebook Marketplace who have kids that are getting online games. And what what kind of you know taught me that he was doing this was we went to a Micro Center here here in town. And what I noticed was that he was trying to find uh, inexpensive parts for a computer. And I thought this was just another hobby of his. But what he realized was that his uh, someone in his family was basically just putting up things around the house on Facebook Marketplace. And what he realized was that they were getting sold pretty fast. And, um, you know, the, the thing right now is you've got a lot of kids, uh, you know, in that eight to eight to 18 range who are getting all these streaming games like Fortnite. And, you know, sometimes you need a dedicated computer for that. Some families don't have, 
you know, full-on computers anymore. They only have laptops. And, uh, you know, buy a, buy a full-on computer, that could be kind of expensive. So what he thought he'd do was he would go ahead and build computers from scratch with the cheapest parts possible. So at least that way, you know, they're still functioning. They're still reliable. They're just not super state-of-the-art. And then what he did was he would go ahead and list these specifically as Fortnite gaming computers, you know, computers that were perfect for your kid who just wants to go ahead and play one of those online games. And he would go ahead and sell them for a markup just a little bit below market value, but enough to go ahead and at least make like $100 or so profit. And uh, he'd put them up on Facebook Marketplace and sell it. And uh, I think it's a genius idea. Kudos to you, buddy. I am so glad that you found that this is an idea that is uh, it make, makes a lot of freaking sense, especially now during the holiday season. And uh, I hope you make a ton of money through that. And uh, we were we were grabbing dinner after hitting up Micro Center, and he was kind of discussing his his thoughts behind this. Now. Uh, he wants to figure out how to make this a sustainable side gig. So I kind of ran him through the steps that are specific for him. But for a lot of you out there, you're realizing that, you know, maybe you had to pick up driving Uber, doing, uh, you know, DoorDash uh, as a side hustle. And what you're realizing is, you know, some of that work for hire stuff just isn't really for you. You kind of want to have a little bit more autonomy. Now, I've always said that that one of the easiest things you could do, which is in high, high, high demand, is copywriting. If you can write and you can write decent sales copy, you will never go hungry. And take it from somebody that literally just did sales copy for months and months and months as I was looking for work because it was either get a part-time job for minimum wage again or do sales copy where at least I'm writing from my laptop from home and I'll have to go stock shelves. Um, I've done all many types of side hustles. I've done sales. I've done online classes. Uh, I've done photography. I've done everything but Uber. Um, you know, some of them were more successful than others. Uh, so trust me, I have failed more than I succeeded. But in the things that I succeeded in, I made sure that uh, you know I could do it and I could make a lot of money in the process. But with his side gig, which is you know building these computers and marketing them directly to parents through Facebook Marketplace who are looking for an inexpensive computer for their kids who are playing games online, I think that is that that is just incredibly smart. And he's probably mad right now if he's listening to this because I probably gave a lot of other people his idea. But what he's doing is uh, is something that's very focused in on his area. He knows the clientele. He's he's put in the the homework. So what works for him might not work for you, especially given on the area, whether or not people can afford it, that type of thing. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into this. I don't think he'll be in too much danger of competition. But um, you know, kinda kinda discussing that with him, I really had to think back into the process of how to set up a proper side gig so that way you can set yourself up for success. And uh, take it from me, I've I've built businesses, I failed at businesses, I've had many side gigs, I've done a lot of things that uh, I didn't think I'd be doing, and some of them worked and some of them didn't. And at any given moment, um, you know, I could go ahead and just switch one on if I need extra money. Now, what I've got right now is I've got my main uh, earned income through my salary through my job. I've got residuals, which come from articles and book sales and ads on podcasts. I've got, uh, you know, consulting I do for books and authors and podcasts and nonprofits and campaigns and that type of deal. So I've got, 
uh, things that earn me a lot of money without having to put in a lot of effort because I've been able to build my knowledge, my experience, my credibility, my talent, and my networks. So all of that has basically eliminated the need for me to have those side gigs where I'm working on the weekend. That way, you know, all I can do is I can go ahead and have some of that money to do all the things I need to pay bills, pay debt, put into savings, put into investments, and then put into other things that go ahead and help me increase what I'm doing, help me buy back my own time. So one of those things is being able to put up to hire a publicist to help me with my articles, help me with my social media, help me with the show, um, because that frees up time that I don't need to worry about some of those things. Uh, you know, especially when you're doing, you know, I do this show twice a week. I do Second Print Comics podcast uh, every Wednesday. I do bonus material for that. I'm writing articles. I'm doing bonus content. I've got a newsletter. I go on other people's shows. It's a lot of stuff. And I need to make sure that all those things are helping me grow my brand and grow my name recognition and hopefully bring in more people to me so they will want to go ahead and not just trust me as a subject matter expert on things I'm discussing, but also go ahead and become a client or purchase a product or something like that. So what I want to do is I kind of want to run you through the eight steps. And these are not definitive, but this is what I've condensed it down to from beginning to end. The eight steps needed to go ahead and really set up your side hustle for success and take it from somebody that has failed more times than I've succeeded. When I have succeeded, I've succeeded well, and I really know how to make money real fast if I need to turn on that side hustle switch. So trust me. Um, a lot of people on YouTube that will go ahead and do this, they're going to try and sell you courses. They're going to go ahead and try and get, get you to buy eBooks and stuff. Uh, if you want to go ahead and book me for a consultation, that's fine. But really this is kind of the, the footwork needed, the instruction guide, if you will. So that way you can go ahead and answer these yourself and uh, figure it out because I think the best teacher ultimately is experience. And I say I fail more than I've succeeded because, you know, I think the saying goes, the teacher has failed more than the student has tried. And I, I take pride in doing this because I've helped people, whether they were in binds because they weren't working full time or because they needed extra money for something or because they just wanted to go ahead and have that extra challenge. I've been able to help a lot of people make a lot of money the smart way without having to go ahead and drive Uber, deliver food. Because ultimately, if you could be in the most control of your side hustle, I think that's the best thing. Otherwise, you're just an employee by a different name. Uh, the first one, step one, find your niche. Um, I know some people call it niche or niche. I, well, I'm just going to call it niche because I've never, I, I've never been able to pronounce it any other way. So find your niche, find your thing. Uh, for me, it was copywriting because my inherent talent, my big marketable skills, my ability to write, and primarily it was two forms of copywriting. One was ghostwriting. And that what that basically meant was I would write for other people on their behalf or I would do long form editing where basically they would take 90% of what I would write, add some of their own stuff and market it themselves. That's how a lot of things work. If you think you have problems with that, well, that's, that, that's, a, that's, not, that's a neither here nor there conversation. But yes, I would ghostwrite for people. So there are published articles out in the world that have somebody else's name on there and you can, you can make money doing that. Uh, the other thing was writing sales copy. I've written sales copy for uh, companies that are building education toys for children. I have written sales copy for 
businesses that will go ahead and construct websites for you. I've written sales copy on uh, people who are creating websites to sell lawn ornaments and flags and stuff like that. And I even had a pretty reliable client, uh, you know, in in Ohio, they were a day spa and they were selling their own beauty products. Uh, they were very reliable. I even wrote sales copy for a um, a cosmetic surgeon in Malaysia who was marketing towards European clients, and he needed to write sales copy in English, so he needed an English copywriter. Uh, you know, what, regardless of what the product or service was, the inherent um, ability to write persuasive and informative ad copy that could convert readers into clients was important. I think later on we might actually just do an episode about copywriting uh, because I don't think I'm the, I'm the sharpest tool in the shed, so if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I think um, entrepreneur.com went ahead and said that um, – Copywriting is one of the top three side hustles in the world, especially in the e-commerce space. So I, I, you know, I always say that if you can write good copy, uh, you'll be fine. It bothers me when journalists are out of work and they, you know, they say they're above advertising copy. It's like you know, everything you're writing is basically selling something. You might as well do something that sells products, especially if you need the money. Don't you're not you're not above it. Um, so that that's my niche. So copywriting was mine. Uh, my friend in the previous example, his is finding the the things needed to build inexpensive computers. He knows how to build them. And then what he does is he sells them through Facebook Marketplace, advertising them as computers specifically for online gaming. So that's his thing. Other people bake. Other people um, you know, do, do many different side hustles. But find the one that doesn't feel too much like work, that you don't have to go too out of your way to do. And... You know, it's the one thing that you're naturally a little bit more uh, talented in than the thing that you really have to figure out. So finding your niche is key because if it's not something that you feel that you can dedicate a lot of time and resources to and it doesn't feel too much like extra work, you'll be fine. Uh, you know, I tried to create online courses. I sucked at that. It was terrible. That was not my thing. Even the topic I was doing for that, um, not my proudest moment. Um, you know, I did photography, but I was not a professional photographer. I had to learn everything online and I hated it because, uh, you know, photography, I, I got to give photographers more credit. Photography is a lot of work. It's not just standing around taking photos of things. So, you know, when, when I kind of figured out all the things I could do, but I didn't like doing, I found the thing that I was good at doing and it didn't feel too much like work. It was copywriting. And then for my friend, obviously it's building, it's finding the, the parts for these computers and then building them. So find your thing. Uh, step two, once you go ahead and know what you're going to do, your biggest thing isn't going to be finding hundreds and hundreds of customers. I think what you want to do is you want to use law of averages to your uh, advantage and you want to make sure that you're bringing in the best quality people. Law of averages basically means that the wider you expand your net of potential customers, the more customers you're going to find. So if let's say I need to get 
five customers by the end of the day. Am I going to go just talk to five people? No, I'm going to talk to 10 people. And if I really want to make sure, I'm going to talk to 50 people. And if I really definitely want to make sure maybe get more than five, I'm going to talk to 100 people. So basically, the wider you cast your net, the probability of somebody saying yes without having to be sold or easily, or you know, you have to try and convince them, uh, the more likely you are going to get those customers. So I always say, you can probably find just within your friends group or within your family or within uh, you know, another organization or something you're part of, church, whatever, you can probably think of five people who immediately need help, whether you're baking something or whether they have kids that need a computer or play Fortnite or something else on, you could probably find people. So I think what you need to do is you need to probably set yourself up with five customers. Is there a big reason behind that? No, I think five is just a good number. Um, you know, other people will say more or less. Some people say you just need one. I, I think you want to go ahead and give yourself a little bit of a comfort space. I think five is a good number because what's going to happen is you need five people to at least refer you because what are two isn't that convincing. Three, anyone can find three people. Four means you're kind of pushing. Five, I think, is a strong power number. Those are people that can go ahead and provide you a review. You got five individuals that you did five different things for. Um, That will go ahead and start to do step three. So step two, find five first-time customers. From there, use that five and try and develop a good relationship with at least three. So what we're doing now is we're kind of minimizing down. Of the five first-time customers, try and get three to become reoccurring customers. And what I classify as a reoccurring customer isn't just somebody that has purchased from you uh, a product or service more than once, but I try and put in a time zone. I'm going to say at least 30 to 60 days. Within 30 to 60 days, if they have come back to you for either the same service or another service, uh, they are classified as frequent reoccurring customers. And I think of that five you have, you'll be able to go ahead and you know develop enough rapport from the first experience to get several of them, you know, at least three to come back to you within that time. Because what you want to do if you're side hustle is you want to start getting some reliable income coming in from this. And you could go out and you could keep trying to bring in new people, which I advise you do, but Often, if you can get two to three, I think what you can start doing is you could start upselling your services. Uh, For example, when I was doing copywriting, I only had, realistically, a handful of clients. And I would rather work with that handful of clients because I could upsell them, charge more for more services, and that uh, I knew that you know they had a they had a timetable and they had a schedule of when things needed to get done. So you know it saved me time not having to go find other people because I could find a hundred customers, but that would mean a hundred separate assignments and maybe it would have added up to what one or two customers ended up paying. So because it was my side hustle and not my big job, I knew hey I can get along enough to go ahead and at least get a few of these people to pay more so than your regular client and customer, but more frequently. So it's that upselling ability and it's that ability to get them to buy frequently, which is going to keep your side hustle reliably sustained. Uh, Step four, build and earn clients on referral. So what we did with steps two and three was that we widened the net with first-time customers and then we narrowed down to get that reliable base of people who you're upselling and who are buying from you frequently. 
what you want to do eventually is after a couple of months, maybe, uh, you know, a, a couple of contracts and assignments under the belt, you don't want to have to go out and solicit yourself. You you don't have time for that. You've got your main job. You've got your life and this side hustle, uh, what you're trying to do by trying to build that rapport. And I keep really trying to emphasize that you're building a reputation. You're building a professional rela- relationship with these people. What you want to do is you want to be able to go ahead and say, hey, when you want to go ahead and you find the extra space to do more work, when you need to replace somebody who stopped being a frequent customer, what you want to do is have built enough rapport with those, uh, you know, that solid three number of folks. So you could say, hey, by the way, I'm looking for new customers. Do you know anyone that you could refer to me um, who might want the same service you're getting or something else. Those people want to keep you happy because they know that if you're happy, then you will do quality work for them. So what they will do is they will begin to refer you. And, you know, I've done indirect and direct advertising and all marketing in between. And nothing, 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 nothing means more than word of mouth. I would rather have a couple of people go out and give genuine, honest, great testimonies to their friends and colleagues than spend a million dollars on a billboard in Times Square because that word of mouth means more than anything else. So what you want to do is have built a strong enough base of frequent people who you have a good report with who you're upselling a good rapport with who you're upselling and who are happy with you and you want to go ahead and earn their trust so that way when you want more clients you could just ask them hey do you know more people and they will take care of you and they will bring more people if you can get clients by referral also the ability for them to be more easily upsold as first-time customers will be more so than if they were just buying a basic product or service as a brand new customer because no one wants to spend too much on something that they're not quite sure with. But if a friend has convinced them that you're reliable and you're good and you're quality, these people will come to you as if they already know you and you can more easily upsell them. So uh, step four, build and earn clients on referral is Big. This will help you. Um, step five, build your digital portfolio. It used to be said during the early days of the internet, you have to have two things. One, you have to have a website. You have to own your own website. And two, you have to be on every social media. The thing is, that is not the case anymore. And even if some people say you need to be well diversified in that, I would I would take uh, the stance that you should not. Now, understand my bias is I think everybody in their you know everyone that you know and everyone that they know should be on Parlor because if you know me, you understand that I'm an employee for Parlor, but. I also understand that we live in a world where you need options and you need to be able to find your people. Now, the consultant in me is going to go ahead and say, you need to go to the forum and to the place that is best for you. Uh, For example, if you're a copywriter, I think Upwork and LinkedIn 
and Fiverr are great for you. One because Fiverr and Upwork are both uh, platforms where you can get to, you can get connected with clients immediately, and they take a percentage off of your sales. Uh, I you know they market you if you have a good rating, and then you use LinkedIn to go ahead and show off examples of client work. So I would go ahead and put copies or reviews or publish stuff on LinkedIn because it's more of a professional network. And I'm on Uphold and Fiverr. And I'm talking theoretically right now, but I I did do that uh, when I was doing aggressive copywriting. Uh, For my friend who's doing uh, the the computer builds for people, um, you know, LinkedIn might not be the best place for that. That might be seen as spam. I think Parler would be a good place, but you know what he's doing is he's dealing with a physical product and he doesn't need to build massive social media because he's not building a business out of this. This is a side hustle. It should not, you know, take the effort of a giant business because it's just something you do as a gig. So what I mean when I say digital portfolio is just a place where you can publicly show proof of work. That's all it is. It's just a place where if people want to see references or if people want to see past projects, they can easily obtain it. So what I told him was you're dealing with a, f- with a visual product. So Parler is great for visual products. Instagram is good for visual products because you could go ahead and upload your image. You can add descriptions of what the cost was, what the process was, and what the time range was. You can go ahead and put hashtags there, and that is a good visual medium to show your physical product. And you know, if you wanted to, uh, you know, get business cards, you can get like a hundred business cards from Vistaprint for like. 20 bucks or something like that i said you can go ahead and have your name on the card and have a brief description you know like joe bob i build computers for gamers and then your instagram link at the bottom just as a reference for people because if you have that card you're good but uh you know i think having a digital portfolio at least somewhere is better than not having it and having a place that's consistent and uniform and organized and clean is better than having a whole bunch of stuff scattered infrequently on a bunch of places where you're it's just going to become a burden for you to keep up with so having a digital portfolio somewhere so that you can go ahead and show your product or service is great not all are built equally do your research understand where is my audience and what am i showing off and where is it going to be maximized and you're good from there so please do research on your end but you have to have a digital portfolio am i against you having a website no but the thing is a website's gonna cost you money and i don't think that side gigs should cost you money if anything they should be you know, a net gain from day one. So, you know, if you're going in the hole for that, that's fine. Spending 20 bucks on gift on, you know, business cards, that's, that's nothing. But once you start getting into the fact that you're going to have to pay for regular maintenance and upgrades and everything else for a website and stuff, don't do it. There are enough free mediums out there that, that will be great for your digital portfolio. And then, uh, steps. Okay, step six, create monthly expectations. Uh, for a lot of people, and they, I, I think on YouTube specifically, they tend to use residual income and side gig income, uh, you know, 
in, in, in much of the same way. That's not really true. Residual income should be passive income that's earned through things that earn you money, whether it's through property, whether it's through royalties, whether it's through dividends. Um, your, side gig, your side gig income is going to have to come from the things that you're actually working on. And the goal is and you know the the expectations are going to be different because passive income is different from side gig income uh, what most people will tell you when you're trying to build streams of income as well as building your wealth is to eventually have all of that at the you know reach the level of which it can cover all your expenses so that way you could use your earned income from your salary job and you could put it directly into savings and investments, so that way you're building yourself up faster. So that's their goal. Um, your goal doesn't have to be that, based off your circumstances and how fast you want to reach certain financial goals. I'm not saying that has to be it, but that's generally what you're going to see online. So I don't want to set up too high of expectations. But to have some expectations is better than none because what you want to do is you want to take this money that you're getting from something that's not costing you too much time and too much energy and you know that you're maximizing it in the best way possible so that you're not burning as much of that earned income from your salary towards any of the things that we've spoken about earlier, debt savings investments. So what you want to do is really create your monthly expectations. And this is why with the second and third step, getting, you know, getting five first time customers and then whittling that down to three regular customers where you can upsell is so important. Because if you could start building that as reliable income, you'll be able to go ahead and set projections for your finances for the year. If I know I'm making $300 a month from copywriting, and I know I could do that, I'm probably going to go ahead and say, hey, I'm going to put $300 towards paying down debt. Or hey, I'm going to put $300 just towards savings. Or maybe, you know, this is my investment money. Maybe it's just money to take your family out on a nice dinner and put gas in the car. Maybe that. Set up your expectations and begin to factor that into your income and into your expenses. So understand maybe you want more customers. Maybe you want to upsell more of your current customers. Maybe you want to change your rates so that way you can make more money. Set that up so at least that way you're being intentional with your money because what causes a lot of people to lose interest in their side gigs is when they forget why they did it once they start getting comfortable. So being intentional with your time and being intentional with what uh, you're going to do with it is key. Okay, and then uh, what you want to understand is determine your scalability. How can you turn your side gig into more of a marketable enterprise? Maybe it's hiring people to go ahead and go, uh, you know, for like copywriters, maybe you want to hire a proofreader. Uh, one, that means that you're probably going to have to take some of that money and factor it in towards paying the proofreader. But what if you got to the point where your stuff was so good and you were getting so many clients by referral and you were getting so many people to upsell products that you factored that in? So you raise the total cost of the service from, let's say, $30 to $40. So that way, when you have to pay 5 to 10 bucks for people to read and proofread you know, 500 words of copy or something, it, it's like it didn't even matter. It's just there. So that way, what you have is you're able to go ahead and get out faster work, more quality work, and you're able to actually bring in more money for yourself because you're able to scale faster. You're able to take less of those pieces and have to deal with them yourself.
So maybe that's what you want to do, but that should be something that you discuss once you get to the point where, hey, this is reliable, it's frequent, and you know it's it's bringing me good income. So understanding your scalability is going to to be important because maybe you should scale, maybe you shouldn't. But you should at least know whether or not you do or do not have the opportunity to do that because that could go ahead and open up uh, you know, other discussions about the future of where you want to go or how you can possibly maximize it. Some people want, you know, some for some people their dream is to turn their side hustle into a full-time job. Maybe that's you. Certainly not me, but maybe that's you. You should understand, do I have the ability to scale? Because maybe that doesn't even mean if you should scale, you want to scale. Maybe that just means I can scale. Maybe it is a time for me to go ahead and raise the prices on my stuff. So, you know, if I if I wanted to hire that proofreader, I'm doing, you know, my product was originally $30. I'm going to pay this person 40 bucks instead. I'm sorry, 10 bucks. Maybe instead of charging 40 bucks, so I'm getting my regular uh, price for this. I'm just paying $10 to the proofreader. Maybe uh, because the quality of my service, I'm going to raise it to 50 bucks. So now I'm making an additional $10 myself, and then I could still pay 10 bucks for the proofreader. Maybe that's what that opportunity is. Maybe you could be more selective about your customers and then you know dwindle that maybe to one or two who you're getting enough to compensate for the customers that you're rejecting because you're upselling them so much. Asking whether or not you can scale your side hustle is big because whether you end up having to subcontract things out or not, what it does is it gives you the ability to be flexible and to leverage your skill and your service. And then the last step is really, really the last thing you should want because the biggest problem that people have is, oh, should, should, you know, when they start thinking about this, uh, you know, it's kind of a cart before the horse situation. Oh, do I have to pay taxes on this? Oh, do I have to file this a certain way? Oh, should I, should I have an accountant for this? Should I set this up as an LLC? What do you do with the money? Here's the thing. You shouldn't start worrying about the money until you start making the money because uh, a majority of side hustles and side gigs end up failing before you even make a dollar. That's just the fact of it. So if you're worrying about your money, uh, that's, that's a good problem to have. Be happy you have that as a problem. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, what are you doing with your monthly expectations? Uh, you know, having a side hustle is work. Like it, it's just it it takes time and it takes energy that you could be doing something else. And I wanted to get into a point in my life where. Uh, I was making enough through my salary, through my regular income, to go ahead and build up residual streams of income, and I wouldn't have to worry about having a side hustle. And now when I have a client, I make sure that it's a client for consulting purposes who, one, is not going to waste my time, but two, I can make a lot of money doing very little work for them. Uh, I, I'm now at the point where I have the luxury of saying no to people because I know it's not going to be valuable for my time. And it's not going to be money that I feel, you know, is necessarily that important. Because now I'm at the point where I'm trying to buy my own time back. I have goals. Um, you know, I'm trying to do that. It's it's bought me that degree of freedom. Uh, you know, wh- why why did you get your into your side gig to begin with? That that should be the first question. That you know, that is not only the first question you ask at the beginning of this when you're trying to find your niche, but this is also the the last question. So it's kind of a circle. Everything will kind of meet up at, at one point or another, and it's going to end up repeating at the beginning and at the end. So 
you know, whether it's to go ahead and build savings, pay off debt to invest with, or just to go ahead and give you more income throughout the month, uh, don't just waste that money. Don't just spend it frivolously. Don't just let it sit around without an actual purpose. You know, money sitting in a savings account is fine if you know that you're keeping it there for an emergency fund or uh, a bridge fund or something else. But if it's just there and you don't know what you're doing with it, uh, it's almost as bad as the money not existing. Your money should serve a purpose. Uh, You know, savings is a purpose. Paying off debt is a purpose. Uh, Going into investments to help you grow your residual income and grow your wealth is intentional. Uh, even if it's just for, so that way, you know, like me at one point, I was like, you know, I want more money because I want to buy more comics because I'm a giant nerd and comics are expensive. That's an intention. I know what I'm doing with it. So I'm going to be, uh, you know, a better steward of that money. So that's, um, that's it. And let me go ahead and just go ahead and repeat those steps. Step one, find your niche. Find the thing that you're really going to focus on, really doubling down and being good at. Step two, find five first-time customers. This will go ahead and expand your network of people you're going to work with. Uh, step three, get at least three of that five to become reoccurring customers. And that means people who are buying from you within 30 to 60 days of your uh, first sale or service to them. Step four, uh, build and earn clients by referral so you never have to do really any of your own marketing yourself. Step Five, create your digital portfolio, a place where you can go ahead and show proof of work, where people can find you and where you can refer people so that way they see actual evidence of you doing what you're doing. Step uh, six, create monthly expectations. How how much do you want to bring in? How many people do you want to work with? What, what are you going to do with that money? Step seven, you know, determine scalability. Understand when a side gig becomes more than a side gig Understand when you could be more selective about your clients. Uh, you know, understand when you could potentially raise the cost of your products or services. When you can determine your scalability, that will give you a lot of the answers you need about where you're currently at and where you can go. So that way, you can make the goal of ultimately making more money smartly. And then eight, what do you do with the money? Uh, the, the biggest sin is not knowing what you're going to do with your money and just being reckless with it. So those are the eight steps. Go ahead and write those down and we are good. And, uh, you know, we, we got some time left. I want to go ahead and uh, touch on something that I brought up at the beginning of the show, which is why you're doing this. Um you see a lot of people online, especially on YouTube, who are going to trap you of the things that I was trapped with, which is you will only become a millionaire if you've got your job, if you've got a million side hustles, and if you have passive income, and that is the only way to achieve success. And the thing is, you should not have side gigs just for the sake of doing it. Because if you end up doing stuff that you don't like, it's going to stress you out. If you're stressed out, you will create unrealistic expectations. If you create unrealistic expectations, you will never achieve them. 
If you never achieve them, you'll be a failure. If you're a failure, you're obviously not making the money. If you're not making the money, then what you've done is you've just wasted time. Uh, you know, when I was doing photography, I didn't do it because I loved photography. I was not even a trained professional. I was just super cheap. And at the end of the day, I could go ahead and get paid for that. But it was so much extra work and it was so much of a hassle, even though I got paid a considerable amount for my skill level, it was not worth it. And the money became a bane because here I am, I'm with it. And it's like, well, I'm glad I got it this way. But it was too much time. It was too much work. It was a terrible experience. I might as well have just gotten a part-time job. And that's where I kind of want to lead things with. Uh, When should you just get a part-time job? Because here's the thing about a side hustle. And this is my problem with Uber and Lyft. Uber and Lyft come with so many strings attached, especially if you're doing Uber Eats. I mean, when you're dealing with food, that's a whole other thing. It comes with so many strings attached. Um, You really have to look at what is the benefit of me doing this versus if I got a part-time job. Because if you're going to have a side hustle, here's my realistic expectation. You should be able to do your side hustle from home at any time during the day in your boxers. Because ultimately, as I mentioned, you should be able to lean on your talents and your skills so that way you make as much money for as little work as possible while still putting out a quality product or service. If you don't want to do any of that, or if you don't know then you have to ask yourself, do I have extra time to commit to this? And if I'm not willing to commit to any of those things, and my goal is to bring in extra income, but I don't know what my niche is, and I don't have the talents or the necessary skills to really provide anything of quality, and I don't want to put in the work to find people, get a part-time job. Like seriously, I know enough incredibly smart people who work as hill staffers who were bartenders on the weekends. I know enough people who were um, you know, going through college and they were working uh, full-time fellowships and stuff who got waitressing or waiter jobs. I know full-time teachers uh, prior to the plague who would get seasonal jobs working at farms or working at uh, like GameStop, for example, just because they didn't want to have to use any of their salary to buy Christmas presents. Or maybe their salary wasn't enough, so they needed the extra job of something easy like uh, stocking shelves to bring it in because it's mindless and it's easy. And you know you're going to get those hours and you don't have to fight for them. You don't have to worry about it. I had a college professor back at Liberty University that wanted to go ahead and save up to get more, uh, you know, to, to get more money to buy his son a car. So he found that he had a little bit of extra time, which, and, and it's kind of an off, you know, off the side thing. But he was kind of a shitty professor. I think he should have focused more on being a good professor. But you know, what, whatever. Uh, instead of actually being better and earning a raise or whatever, he thought, oh, I'm just going to get a part-time job. So what he did was he saw a part-time listing for our uh, dining facility, and he went ahead and got a minimum wage job peeling potatoes. So he would go teach class, grade papers, go peel potatoes for like three, four hours, get like seven fifty an hour, and he just used all of that money to put into basically extra money to buy his kid a car. 
And if you're, you know, think about that. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm, I'm at the point now where I should be side hustling, doing these extra sexy marketable skills. But honestly, like, no one is above a part-time job, especially if you're not employed. I know a lot of people, they only want side hustles when they're employed. My thing is, uh, you know, it's a good time to experiment with it, but uh, you know, the biggest thing should not be creating a side hustle because you're not working. The biggest thing should be finding a job. And then once you're good at your job and you've, you've got that security, that safety net, then building the side hustle. So that's, that's another thing. Um, you know, the worst time to discover your side hustles is when you're unemployed because you become desperate. And when you become desperate, you do things that I did. You end up basically doing everything under the sun. You waste more time and energy getting very little money. That's time that you could have been going to the gym. It's time you could have been uh, doing actual things that are important to you, like applying and trying to get a job, even if it's just a part-time job or you're looking for the full-time job. I've done it all, and let me tell you, if I took all the time I spent building side hustles and all this other shit on finding work, I probably could have gotten a better part-time job than just the minimum wage ones that I took. And, uh, you know... A big example of side hustles and residual income when it comes time to help. At the beginning of COVID, uh, I was working at the Washington Times. I was not. I was the least paid employee in the newsroom, as I found out after I left. I was the least paid employee in the entire newsroom, and I was putting more hours than other people. I was getting more results than other people. That's neither here nor there. But um, you know, I I had a, the ability to do freelance work doing copywriting because I was social media coordinator. I, you know, I couldn't offer uh, social media consulting uh, side gigs and stuff like that. That would have been, you know, a, a non-compete issue. So what I had to do is I had to look within my current contract and find something that I could do to bring in money. So I was a copywriter and that's when I started writing sales copy. So it got to the point where after a few months of dealing with a pretty significant pay cut that lasted up until when I left the Washington Times, I'm pretty sure it's still expanded uh, through now, December, when you're listening to this, um, I leaned back on the side hustles and the skills that I previously had. And within about a month, I was making enough money through copywriting to compensate for the money that I was not making through my paycheck, which was 10%. So I was able to use that copywriting money from my side gig to make up that 10% difference. It was nice because, you know, other people were just dealing with the loss. Uh, My big sacrifice was I sacrificed more time to make as much money as I had. So I found myself working harder just to make what I should have been making. But, you know, I was willing to do it. Uh, working harder and working longer is not a problem if you're doing it with intention. And it's because I had very specific goals for what I wanted to do with my finances for the year. I wanted to invest X amount of money. I wanted to save X amount of money. So if I had to work harder because of the situation that was outside my control, because everyone in the newsroom got a a pay cut of the same uh, percentage, it was just worth it to me. And, you know, eventually I was able to do better in my professional life and everything else. And now I'm at the point where I don't really have a side gig. I have residual money coming from stuff. And when I do consulting for, you know, books, you know, primarily I do author consultings now, uh, I could be more, you know, picky about the people. So, 
you know, understand that a side gig should be of a service to you because of you needing to meet your goals. The moment a side gig feels like a chore, the moment it feels like it's something that you hate doing, even if you're making good money, you should probably, probably leave it. Um, hey, if you have any questions, just reach out. Contact me. We'll schedule up a, uh, a, a consultation and we'll help you meet your goals. We will walk through this, you know, eight step chart, so to speak. And, you know, I can walk you in, I can walk you through it to kind of fill out those things because I think the eight steps I laid out for you are pretty simple. But sometimes people need a coach, people need a mentor. And I would love to be that person to help you with this. So please. Um, there have been many good opportunities that came out of COVID, remote work, and the ability to expand e-commerce capabilities for small businesses and for just people that want to go ahead and expand their skills so that way they could develop new streams of income. That has been a great outcome of this pandemic. And sadly, I don't see the world changing too drastically come January 2021. So... You know, the biggest thing that I had to learn is what I hope, you know, I hope you get out of this, which is take advantage of the time you have now, especially if you have those opportunities. Develop new skills, create additional streams of income, and get your own freedom. Because the only the, the, the only thing money is good for, ultimately, is giving you options and giving you choices and giving you that freedom. Because if you don't have freedom, if you don't have choices, if you don't have the luxury of different options, that's what leads us to outcomes we don't want. And I don't want that for you. So please call me, email me, tweet me, parlay me, inbox me. You know how to get in touch with me. Do smoke signals if you have to. It's easier to get in touch with me than ever before. Go ahead, reach out. We'll get something on the books and let's help you today. As always, thank you so much. Proud to be part of this network. We are Libertarians Network. Proud to have all of you listening. I hope you've been entertained. I hope you've been informed. And I hope that we can go ahead and get you on the right path as we rush towards 2021. Or as the nightmare scenarios have been calling it, the potential for December 32nd, 2020. (laughs) You're listening to On the Run. I'm Rumsey W. Martinez. Take care. I will talk to you later in the week. Check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.